Hi, welcome to In the Pacha, where every week I, Sam Reinstein, uh, invite guests and educators to come talk about the Parsha with me, the weekly Torah portion. Um, This week I have with me Rachel Weber-Leshaw, who's talking to me from Israel. Uh, So thanks for coming on. Uh, Do you mind introducing yourself? Thanks so much for having me, Sam. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm coming to you from Jerusalem. Um, I live here with my husband, two kids. I teach Torah in a couple of different places, um, including Midrash Torah B'Avodah. Um, one of my favorite things is talking to people um, about learning and particularly catching up with friends. Um, so it's an honor to be here with you, Sam. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting started. And cool. great to be able to do this from across the world. So yay, technology. <laughs> Um, do you mind uh, just for a second talking about your educational background? Just because I think yeah, people will be absolutely. interested. Sure. Um, I let me work backwards. The most exciting thing is that <laughs> this past summer I graduated from two years of study in the Nishma Yoetzet Hacha program, which means that I'm qualified to answer questions from women around the world about Tarat Hamishpacha, the roles of family purity. Um, so that's something that I do quite a lot now, but I've also. Um, I spent two years studying in the graduate program of advanced Talmudic study at Yeshiva University, also known as GPATS. Um, I spent time learning in Migdalos, which is a big Josh for women in Israel. Um, so I basically like to bounce around the world, learning Torah from as many people as possible, and then eventually getting to share it with students. So that's what I'm here to do. Awesome. Okay, awesome. Thanks. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, something that we're going to do every week is try and um, review, summarize the Parsha in 30 seconds. Um, this one's particularly hard because Baluscha is has a lot going on in it. Um, and it also happens to be my Bar Mitzvah Parsha. Um, so I know it a little better than most. Um, but, Are you going to blame the whole thing for us? We could just do that <laughs> instead. Not, not in 30 seconds, that's for sure. <laughs> Give us a little something. <laughs> okay, on Go. Uh, so the Parsha begins, Baluska talking about lighting the menorah, Aaron's lighting the menorah. Um, the other Nisim, um, the other leaders, had given Korbanot uh, sacrifices in the tabernacle. Aaron gets to light the menorah. Um, then they initiate the Levium, they initiate um, the, um, them in the process of becoming Levium um, and doing the work they are going to do in the temple. Uh, then we talk about Pesach Sheni, these people that hadn't. Uh, uh, so that's actually going to come up. Um, Don't um, ruin my Raquel's going <laughs> to talk about. Um, then we create the silver trumpets to move in the desert. Um, after we talk about how they actually moved in the desert, um, they complain about the manna, um, the manna that came from heaven. Um, after they complain, Moshe gets Eldad and Medad. Um, Moshe gets 70 elders chosen, Eldad and Medad prophesies in the camp. That's what I'm going to talk about. Um, then the Slav come, the quail come, um, some people who eat gluttonously, gluttonously die. Um, and then we talk about Miriam getting Sarad after she says bad things about Moshe. Whew. Whew. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think I got it in a minute. Half 30 seconds was too, too, too quick. All right. It was pretty optimistic of you, pretty ambitious, but I think a minute is yeah. impressive. So Sam set the scene really perfectly <laughs> um, for what what I want to start talking about, which is a really interesting scene that happens towards the beginning of this week's Parsha. Um, the Jews are hanging out in the desert, basically, and it's been about a year since the exodus from Egypt. Um, so in the ninth chapter of Bamidbar, God says to Moshe, like, oh, it's been a year since you left Egypt. You know what it's time to do? It's time to bring the Karban Pesach, the Pesach sacrifice. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Totally normal. That's how things go. God tells Moshe, you got to do this thing. The Jews do this thing. Then something right. weird happens. Okay. I want to tell you something weird that happens. I want to read you two psukim inside. Okay. Because it's kind of interesting. Basically what happens is a bunch of people come to Moshe and they say, we have a problem. This is verse 7 of chapter 9 of Bamidbar. These men say a love to Moshe. We are ritually impure because we came into contact with a dead body, which means that we're not able to bring the Pesach sacrifice. Why should we miss out on bringing this sacrifice to God at the right time among the Jewish people? Okay, so they basically show up and start complaining. Now, what what should happen? They say, we can't do it. God should say. Maybe you don't need to do it. You don't need to do it. Or, Or, okay, too bad. Right? Yeah. We don't have, like, makeup dates in Judaism, except we actually do. God says, okay, you know what? Do Pesach a month later. He invents what's called Pesach Shini. One month later, not on the 14th of Nisan, but on the 14th of Iyar. The Jewish people have a makeup date, right? So, so weird. We don't get to say like, oh, I'm on a business trip. I'll keep Shabbos tomorrow. And Pesach specifically, there's only a few hours that you get to bring the carb on Pesach, right? It's one day, just one afternoon. And here God's like, okay, do it a month later. Whatever. Very strange. Because right. right, it's especially because it's tied to a like a, a specific event, right? It's tied to a specific date. Um, you know, some other things are like tied to a holiday, let's say. So it doesn't matter if you do it before or after. Here, it's like tied to that night when we did that, it. Right. That'd be so weird. Like if oh, the Fourth of July yeah. were celebrated not on the Fourth of July, right? They'd sign the Declaration right. of Independence. Right. Let's celebrate it at a random date. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that right. doesn't make sense. So let's just pause for a second, figure out what's going on. Let's start with who were these people, okay? All we know is that these people were ritually impure. They came into contact with dead body. Okay, Sam, any ideas? Who were these people? Any thoughts? Right, so I think, um, without looking up anything, (laughs) I think I've heard this idea of that these were the people that brought up Joseph's bones from from Egypt. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. The, the Gemara actually brings three options. The Talmud in Sukkah suggests three potential identities for who these people were. Either they were the Jews who were carrying Joseph's bones from Egypt to Israel, where they had promised to bury them, or these were people, these were um, two men named Mishael and Eltzafan, who were Levites, who had actually carried out the dead bodies of Nadav and Avihu, um, the Kohanim, the sons uh-huh. of Aaron, who had died um, right. for bringing an inappropriate sacrifice um, in the parsha that we read a couple of weeks ago in Shmini. So that's another option. The third option the Gemara brings is that they had buried a mate mitzvah. A mate mitzvah is when people are walking down the street, they see a corpse. Um, and Judaism values human life so greatly that they say anybody, anybody is absolutely obligated to stop and take care of that dead body and bury it. In any event, they were all really, really good people. They had all just done a really good thing. And they weren't even obligated in the mitzvah because of that. Right? This isn't something to feel upset about. Right? You did a good thing. You get like an out. Right? Right? So why do you think they were right. so upset? Interesting. 
right? Because like they should they should just feel happy that they were able to do that. And okay, it makes them not be able to do that this this year. But maybe they'll this comes up every year, exactly. Right? Those other things don't come up every exactly. year, exactly. And it's not like they're losing points on a test, right? There is this idea you you feel bad because you weren't able to light Shabbos candles. You forgot to light Shabbos candles, so you feel bad about it, right? But here, God basically said, you did a good thing. You were ritually impure for doing a good thing, right? So, okay, fine. You won't bring the carbon Pesach. It's not the end of the world, okay? Um, before I suggest, right. Before I suggest an answer, I want to, with your permission, give a quick linguistic detour. Okay, because a few partiot later, we're going to hear a similarly strange story. Okay, a few partiot later, we're going to hear the story of the daughters of Tzlavchad, who are five women who approach Moshe with a similar complaint. Here, they're not missing out on bringing the carbon Pesach. Here, they're concerned because they just found out the rules for um, the division of the land of Israel. And they found out that the division goes from fathers to sons. And a man who does not have sons, if he dies, um, there will be no land in his name. And these are five women. And they come and they say, we have a problem. Our father died. He had no sons, only five daughters. They say, Why should our father's name be like missing from his family? Because he has no son. You should give us a portion of land among our father's brothers. Okay, quick quiz, Sam. Did you notice any interesting word that appears in both of these stories? And if you didn't, it's fine. I spoke a little fast. Oh, um, I mean, I, I okay, so nigara, yeah. right? Why should we be, and how exactly would you translate that? So this is really interesting, actually. Lama nigara, I translated as why should we miss out or why should there be okay. something taken from us, right? Something that's, that's a lack in us. Is that how you would translate it? Yeah. I mean, because it kind of is a little different in each of these. You know, they're in Slavkad, they're like losing something physical, mm-hmm. right? They're worried about not getting a physical thing. Here, they're not able to do a service. Um, right. But yeah. So here we have the why should we miss out? The part that to me instinctively seemed a little bit complainy. Right, both the men who can't bring the carbon pesach and the women who's who aren't inheriting any land. It sounds a little bit like my three-year-old when he says, "You know, why don't I get ice cream? Why does that person get ice cream? Why don't I get to get ice cream?" Right? It doesn't. It doesn't sound like it has very much value. But there's a more subtle similarity between these two stories, which is that not only do they both have that word of nigara, but it's not just nigara; it's nigara bitoch among. Right in uh, in Pesach right. with Pesach they say we want to bring the carbon bitoch bnei Israel among the Jewish people and here Benot Slavchad are saying we don't want our father to miss out bitoch acheavinu as part of his family. Okay, so why is it that these two things are similar? I want to suggest I want to suggest something. I think Benot Slavchad it's easy sure. to see that they were worried that their the Jewish people would get to Israel and there would be no address for Slavchad. Right? People would just forget that this was a man who had left Egypt and had been part of the Jewish people because he didn't have a piece of land that they could point to. Pesach, it's a little bit harder, right? right? It's, a, it's an activity, not a physical thing. So what, what's important about that activity? What's similar between Pesach and getting land in Israel, do you think? 
um, being remembered that you were one of those people that survives coming out of Egypt. Yeah. There's def- Is that what you're getting at? Yes. But even more than that, not just having survived okay. like a, an event, a historical event, but one more fun fact. There's a fun fact about Pesach, um, sort of an intense fun fact, which is that if you do not bring the carbon Pesach, um, you get punished with karate. Karate is sort of the most intense punishment that Judaism has. It's considered being spiritually cut off from the Jewish people. And it's very odd that that's the punishment for not bringing the Korban Pesach because usually karate is, re- is reserved for you did something bad that you weren't supposed to do. Like eating on Yom Kippur, that's a really mm-hmm. bad thing, right? There's only two things. Here it's you did not do exactly. Or you, or there are only two commandments that if you don't perform them, you get karate. One is not bringing the carbon Pesach, and the other is circumcision, okay? Oh, right, right. But these two things have a lot in common. Both circumcision and um, the carbon Pesach represent being part of the Jewish people, right? God chooses Avraham, says you're going to be the founder of this nation, so um, you need to be circumcised Make this yes, covenant. and pass it down, right? Father to son, father to son, father to son. Then God says, I'm going to take you guys out of Egypt, right? I, I made you slaves. Now I'm going to take you out to be my nation. Circumcise yourselves and then bring the Korban Pesach, right? Have this one night, all the Jews come together. We say, we're ready to become God's nation. And every single year when we bring the Korban Pesach, we currently don't. But if we could, that's, that's what we're missing out on, a reaffirmation that we want to be part of the Jewish people. Very similar, in fact, to the Benot Tzlefchad, who are concerned that their father mm. won't have a name. Won't be part of the Jewish people. Exactly. Yeah. The Korban Pesach is actually not just a one-time thing. Right? I loved before, Sam, when you suggested, why can't they just do it again next year? Right? But if you, if you don't have your car registration done one year, you can't just do it the next year. Right? You missed yeah. out a year that your car wasn't registered. Right? Right. right. And so it could have been God would say, okay, it's fine. You can't bring the carbon Pesach this year. You have an excuse, no big deal. But these people said, no, we are so unwilling to let this pass by. It cannot be that we don't have the opportunity to be a part of the Jewish people like this. And God said, you know what? If you care that much, even though it makes absolutely no sense to commemorate a historical event on the wrong historical date, I will let you do it, Right? What's the point of, of Pesach Sheni? It's not just that you get a second chance. It's that if you're so committed to the concept, God will break the rules for you. And God will say, okay, hmm. I will teach this in your name. The Gemara in Sanhedrin says that the, the halacha of B'not Tzlafchad, the rule that daughters can inherit land, and the concept of Pesach Sheni, um, it could have been written just that Moshe taught it to the Jews. But these people got it told in their name because they cared so much. Right? And that's what I think is really the point of the story. Is that when you, when you care so much about something that's inherently important and inherently about being part of the Jewish people, um, that um, certain boundaries are able to be crossed um, for their sake. And God gets to God gets to change his rules, right? We we talked right, about right. earlier, right? My son who said, why don't I get ice cream? Why does that kid get ice cream, right? But if he can remind mm. me that I promised him that he was going to get ice cream, right? Or that, you know, getting ice cream <laughs> was so inherent to his identity and our identity as a family, 
right? So then maybe I'll say, okay, we can get ice cream tomorrow, right? Maybe I will say, okay, ice cream before dinner one time, not so bad. I don't know. Like you have the, you have the ability to change something if it's, if it's not just about you, but it's about the whole. That's what I think it is, right? Uh, wanting to belong right, to the whole cool. is, is the power right, here. Right. But, but it's not that you can just give it whenever, right? God still gives them a specific time a month oh, later. Like it, it's, still, it's still within constraints, right? And similar thing. It's not like, oh, I forgot to give you ice cream this one time. You can just have it for dinner all week, right? right? But it's like maybe like a, for a specific time, um, God can st- like bends the rules, but doesn't break. Yeah, them. no, I don't think that this would say that God would would break them, but that the fact that we get to hear how the story is told, even meaning we could have just heard that there's a backup Pesach, but the reward for these people for caring so much is that we hear that God responded, right? That they asked Moshe, and Moshe said, "Let me check with God," and God got back to Moshe, right? Like, how cool is that? These people actually right. created something in Jewish history, like. That's as big as it gets, I think. Awesome, cool, amazing. Um, mind if I mind if I take Please over go at ahead. this point? Show me what you got. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about something a little uh, a little bit different, but actually somewhat similar. Um, later in the later in the um, in the parsha in Baluska, um, we talk about El, the story of Eldad and Medad. Um, essentially, what happened was uh, Moshe hears so many complaints that he's just like, I can't do this. <laughs> and God's like, okay, so, you know, get together 70 people and those 70 people uh, will become prophets and they'll be part of your like greater leadership. And so you won't have to deal with everything. Um, and so then um, he gets 70 people, they become Nivim, mm-hmm. they become prophets. Um, but, the, but the Pasuk says, um, there was two people um, that stayed back in the camp. Um, the two people's names were Eldad and Medad. Um, and God put upon them um, the um, the prophecy essentially. Um, and they didn't leave the tent and they um, prophesied in the camp. Um, so the question that I had when I first looked at this is like, what's going on? Like what, who are these two people? Um, why are they staying in the camp? Like, why aren't they part of the 70 people? Um, if they aren't part of the 70 people, then what are they doing there? Um, what are they, what are they um, prophesying about? Um, so I saw Midrash, um, it's quoted in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, um, that gives two, um, in the Talmud in Sanhedrin, that gives mm-hmm. two explanations um, that are very different from each other, but I think very similar. Um, the first explanation is that what Moshe did, he was told get 70 people. Um, the problem with the number 70 um, is that it's not divisible right. by 12. Um, is that right? There's You're 12 tribes. I am not. And if you. But I trust Yeah. <laughs> Right, but I think I think we can handle this part, right? <laughs> For everyone listening. Um, you know, like 70, 70 doesn't divides well into like 10, but doesn't divide well into 12, and there were 12 tribes. So what that would mean is that you had um 10 tribes that have six and two tribes that have five, or maybe some other combination. And that's not fair, right? Because two tribes kind of get uh kind of get left behind a little bit. Um so what did Moshe do? 
he got 72 people together and they did like a sort of like backwards lottery um, or the short straw, big straw type thing um, where he put 72 pieces of paper and 70 of them said you were going to be chosen. Two of them chose said you, they weren't going to be chosen. Eldad and Maydad were the two that weren't chosen, got blank sheets of paper. Matching names. Um, and so they... I just think it's kind of funny. Right. And just, <laughs> the two yeah. guys. Right, right. And uh, so clearly, I mean, clearly the Torah must be trying to tell us something, like that they were similar, that they were doing this together. I don't know. Um, it's a good point, Does right? The Their name sounds so from similar. from the same tribe? Uh, I can't remember it. So not... So not this. Um, there's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of explanations of who they were. Um, a lot of them are, there's even one opinion that they were both um, Moshe's half-brother um, from before Yochaved met uh, wow. um, Amram, um, which makes it more interesting why Moshe, it makes the whole ending more interesting that maybe Moshe was um, oh, standing wow. up for his half-brothers type okay. thing. Um, but that's that's a side point. Um, but the, what's 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 Interesting here, though, is that then they um, they prophesize in the camp, even though um, um, even though they were able to do what they wanted to do, um, even though they weren't chosen, they were able to um, prophesize in the camp, anyways. And so, why why were they why were they able to do that? Um, and the other answer is somewhat similar but different: is that Moshe really chose seventy two. He chose 72 people and God, they heard God say, um, choose 70 people. And Eldad and Medad said, okay, um, there are these 72 people. I We feel that we're not worthy. So we're just going to stay behind. We're just going to like be, take, take the sacrifice, um, take the sacrifice and understand um, that we're not going to be doing this right. And we're not going to be doing this perfect. Um, and so other people deserve it more. Wow. That's uh, humility. Yeah, exactly. Right. This intense, intense humility. Um, and so therefore, um, perhaps almost because of this, uh, they get, they get, you know, like something happens good to them that they're able to get pr- to prophesize in the camp. Um, so I think actually you can answer this. So like what's going on here, either of these answers that, that they chose the wrong straws and then they got prophecy anyways, or that they, um, did that on their own. Um, so what's going on there? Why did they get prophecy? Um, why, why, you know, why is that okay? Um, so it's interesting. There's another Midrash about what they were prophesizing about to begin with. Um, because uh, a person goes over to Moshe and the Midrash says, this is Yoshua, goes over to Moshe and says, these people are, are doing something bad. And Moshe says, no, it would be great if everyone um, was a was a prophet. And so the Midrash says what they were prophesizing about is that Moshe was going to die and Yoshua was going to take everyone in, um, that, it, that they were creating divisiveness. And that's what Yoshua thought. They were creating divisiveness by saying that Moshe was going to die. And Moshe said, no, that's okay. That's a good thing that people should know and be prepared. Um, and so they say, it's okay. he says, it's okay. Um, it's good that they're and prophesizing. So Yoshua is and actually, I somewhat think even this is, though the prophecy sounds like a, a good thing about him, pro- but he's very defensive good of Moshe. Right. Exactly. Right. So Yoshua is defensive of Moshe, and then Moshe is like, "No, don't be defensive <laughs> of me. Don't don't worry about me. Um, I this is great. There's I a wish lot of humility in this story. I'm very and. Blessed. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a ton of humility in the story. And I think perhaps that's the idea. That's the whole idea is that it's when somebody is humble and is when somebody is coming at this without preconceived notions, um, you know, they're coming and saying, Moshe's dead. They're not saying, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to be king, right? They're not doing what Korach does later on, that we're going to get power. They say, Yoshua is going to get power. We don't, we don't deserve that power. We don't need and that power. And that's okay. Related, and because right? of that- They might gosh, have had a claim. Right. Right? If they were part so, of the right. family, they could legitimately say, okay, it should be our turn. But that's not what they say. Oh, that's so cool. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, and, and that I think inherently is what makes them worthy of prophecy and what, what makes them inherently worthy of being able to bring, to, to prophesize about this really important change in leadership that's going to happen really soon because they don't care about themselves. They're just trying to give other people hope that things are going to be okay when Moshe oh. dies. And they're, they're not in this for themselves. They don't need to be on the Sanhedrin. It's fine if they're not. Uh, it's it's up to God for if they deserve to do it. And Moshe kind of has that. Mm-hmm. I wish everyone was a prophet like them. Um, if everyone if everyone was like them, everyone would be prophets. Um, and if everyone was like me in this moment, oh, maybe everyone would be prophets. Um, and that's uh, oh, what a lesson about leadership, right? If all of our leaders yeah. were a little bit more right definitely. open like that. Right. A little more open and a little more understanding that not everything revolves around them. (laughs) That's something to think Um, about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Maybe a little less harsh harsh than that. (laughs) We all need need messages in various various forms. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, So... Um, any any thoughts about that? Uh, no, about I just that? think that not, um, it's really interesting that any, Moshe no? was was willing to seed leadership, and you know wasn't freaked out that maybe this was the first time he even right. found out that he wasn't going to take the Jews into the land of Israel, and he dealt with that. You know, he didn't have the meltdown. He didn't go yell at God. Right. He said, "Okay, exactly. like let's share the power with the people. Let's be the people we're supposed to be, and God will sort of shepherd us through it." And that's an, an amount of faith that's remarkable. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so uh, much, thank you so really much Rachel, uh, for joining us. Uh, great. Uh, I, I, I really loved talking to you about this, and I hope uh, everyone enjoys listening. Um, we'll continue right, next week night. with Parsha Shlach. <laughs>